Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapter three of his book, Philosophy as a Way of Life, Pierre Adot is concentrating on this conception of spiritual exercises. And it's very useful to look at the types of spiritual exercises that he delineates and distinguishes from each other. Otherwise, there's a tendency to turn everything into a spiritual exercise and it all becomes kind of a mishmash. We, we want to be able to talk about broad categories of exercises that are different from each other as you could say as genera as types but all have the same basic point of reference and orientation and which often reinforce each other so as Pierre Adol points out early on in this chapter in, in the first section, we don't actually have any completely comprehensive and systematic treatises of these spiritual exercises of these different things that are identified as here's what you need to do in order to live philosophy, you know, to do philosophy as the art of living. There may in fact have been such for say the Stoic school or for the later middle and Neoplatonists or for the Epicureans. We may have even had some for the cynics. We know that the cynics wrote things down and we don't have any of those texts. What we do have are lots and lots and lots of allusions, not just to texts and textbooks you might even say, but also to different outlooks, to practices, to what different groups are doing. We do have a lot of individual exercises, some of which are found, for example, in Plutarch's treatises and in Epictetus or in other philosophers as well. And we even have some rather focused treatises. You could think about Seneca's work on anger, his work on benefits, his work on the happy life. Each of these has lots of exercises within them or Plutarch's on the cessation of anger, which appears to have been relying upon an earlier text by an Aristotelian philosopher, Hieronymus or Jerome, who we don't have. And, and so, you know, we do have some focused works. We don't have any sort of complete guide, but that's okay. Ado says, we do have some, some listings, you know, for example, by Philo of Alexandria. He says, thanks to him, we have two lists of spiritual exercises. And these are lists of kinds of, or types of spiritual exercises. So he says, one of these lists enumerates the following elements. Research, zetesis in, in Greek, which means seeking something out. Thorough investigation, skepsis. Reading, anagnosis, listening, acroasis, attention, prosoche, self-mastery, enkratea, and indifference to indifferent things. The other names successfully, reading, meditations, melatai, therapies of the passions, remembrance of good things, self-mastery, and the accomplishment of duties. And he says, we can use these to give a brief description of Stoic spiritual exercises. And so that's what he does next. But he says, we'll study the following groups in succession. First, attention, then meditations and remembrances of good things, and the more intellectual exercises. Finally, the more active exercises. 
So this is actually quite a lot of different techniques or exercises, however you want to frame them, that we can look at individually. And Ado says that we should look at the Stoics. Why the Stoics? Is it because the Stoics are completely right about everything? No, but we see this spiritual exercise tradition, at least in the texts that we still have. And if the Epicurean texts uh, hadn't been, so many of them hadn't been lost, maybe we'd be better off, but we see it more developed in the Stoics. So he says that we can look at attention as the first thing prosoche, attention, which you could also translate as mindfulness, if you like that contemporary term, he says, is the fundamental stoic spiritual attitude. It's a continual vigilance and presence of mind, self-consciousness, which never sleeps, and a constant tension of the spirit. Now that's, it's a stoic way of talking about it. It's not as if other schools don't also, in their own way, stress attentiveness or attention or mindfulness, but they may not frame it in terms of tension itself, right? What does it do? He says, thanks to this attitude, the, the philosopher is fully aware of what they do at each instant and they will their actions fully. They can be committed to their action. Thanks to spiritual vigilance, the Stoic always has at hand, procheron, the fundamental rule of life. That is the distinction between what depends on us and what does not, which Epictetus takes as being very important. Ado also takes as very important. Earlier Stoics actually didn't talk that much about that. They talked about a lot of other things, but you could talk about attention to those rules of life as well. So he says, as in Epicureanism, so for Stoicism, it's essential that adepts be supplied with a fundamental principle formulable in a few words, extremely clear and simple so they can keep it in mind. And he says, we could also define this attitude as concentration on the present moment. So what does attentiveness, prosoche, actually do for the Stoic? He says, it's the key to spiritual exercises. One reason is because it frees us from the passions, which are, and here he says something a little bit curious, always oriented towards the past or the future and to things that don't depend on us. Now, that's a curious thing to say, I'm, I'm telling you, because in the Stoic categorization of the passions, as a matter of fact, a lot of the passions are responses to what is believed, correctly or incorrectly, to be present, right? Present good thing, present bad thing. But we'll put that aside for a moment. Ado is not recommending a sort of like living totally in the present man and, you know, new agey kind of ways, but there is an importance in freeing ourselves from past and, and future that are not particularly helpful for us. And he also says it allows us being attentive to respond immediately to events and here's a really interesting turn of phrase, as if they were questions asked all of a sudden. Ado views a lot of this in terms of sort of dialogue and dialectic between the self and the self and others and, and the world. So viewing the challenges that we're facing as questions put to us by the world makes perfect sense. So that is an important set of spiritual exercises. Next, we get into things that are a bit more structured and you could even say a bit more deliberately cognitive. So he talks about memorization, neme in Greek, and meditation, melete, on the rule of life. Now, it's not just meditation on the rule of life. There's all sorts of meditative or contemplative exercises that are intended to prepare us for particular types of situations or to help us better understand who we are. 
And he says that it will allow us to be ready at the moment when an unexpected circumstance occurs. So he uses as a prime example, prime meditatio malorum, the thinking about bad things in advance, which is, you know, it's a very important Stoic practice. It's used in other traditions as well, which may have gotten it from the Stoics, some of which definitely didn't get it from the Stoics, but that can be helpful. Now, one of the things that Ado brings up here again is that there is a linguistic component to this. He says, what we need are persuasive formula or arguments, epilogismoi, which we can repeat to ourselves in difficult circumstances so as to check movements of fear, anger, or sadness. We can also do things like first thing in the morning, we go over in advance what we have to do during the day. In the evening, we engage in self-examination. And Ado goes on to say, meditation is an attempt to control inner discourse, an effort to render it coherent. So the meditation that he's talking about here is not just emptying your mind. It's actually trying to empty some of your mind so that you can fill it with stuff that's actually going to serve you better and which you can build together in a coherent system. Now, the third type of exercise that he talks about broad category, it provides nourishment for meditation and memorization. What do you meditate on? What do you memorize? He says, well, reading, listening, research, and investigation. Also, reading can include explanation of specifically philosophical texts. So studying, Research and investigation, he says, are the result of putting instruction into practice. For example, we're to get used to defining objects and events from a physical point of view. We must picture them as they are when situated within the cosmic whole. We can dissect events to reduce them into their elements. A prime example of this is in Marcus Aurelius when he's saying, oh, you see that, you know, really tasty dish in front of you, break it down into its components and you'll see that it's really not that impressive and might even be a little gross quite frankly. This is a, a common practice. So that, that fits into these specifically intellectual exercises. We do these in a general sense. We do these in specific senses as well. And this is quite interesting. If Hado is correct about this, then you can't just practice a philosophy as a way of life. You have to actually study a philosophy as a way of life. And it has to be an ongoing practice of reading and study, which interestingly enough is what the ancient Stoics actually told us, isn't it? It's only modern Stoics who some of them want to dispense with this aspect. Finally, we get to the thing that a lot of people are much more interested in, practical exercises intended to create habits. And he says, some of these are very much interior, not just about exterior things, and very close to the thought exercises we've just discussed. For example, indifference to indifferent things is nothing other than the application of the fundamental rule. Other exercises like self-mastery, fulfilling duties of social life, those require us to actually do something. They require practical forms of of behavior. And there's a lot of things that are kind of in between, you know, trying to wean yourself away from automatic thought processes and responses that produce anger or sadness or fear, or anxiety, and toward adopting a more detached attitude towards these things. That's kind of in the middle. It's both interior and exterior, but these practical exercises, the goal is indeed to create habits. Also to undo older habits that are not serving us 
well, those that subject us to the passions, those that have us engaging too quickly in processes of reasoning about impressions that are coming in. Now, what's really interesting here is these are not strictly just stoic, right? We could look at the Epicureans. We could look at the cynics, what we know of them. We can even look at the Cyrenaic hedonist school, which we don't have any texts of, but just testimonies about. And we can see a lot of these exercises being carried out, but in different ways. So for example, the Epicureans don't suggest that people should engage in meditatio malorum because they don't think we ought to try to make ourselves think about things that are disturbing and, and troubling and make us sad or angry. Instead, we ought to think about past pleasures or pleasures yet to come. We should direct our mind in different ways. So there's different meditation going on and perhaps also different intellectual exercises going on, but they're all doing this, whether they're Platonists, Stoics, Epicureans, or even eclectics of some sort. A little bit later, he talks about the Epicureans as treating pleasure itself as a spiritual exercise. Now, how, how do you do that? Well, by enjoying pleasures in a thoughtful, rational, refined sort of way, and also by using these other spiritual practices to strip away some of the fears and troubles that beset people so that they can, as, as Ado is going to say, the Epicureans thought that we have joy just in existing. And so that's another possibility. He also talks about in a, a very interesting section where he's, he's discussing dialogue. He tells us that the Socratic dialogue turns out to be a kind of communal spiritual exercise. Interlocutors are invited to participate in such inner spiritual exercises as examination of conscience, right? Meditation, mindfulness, attention to oneself. And this ties in with self-knowledge of the relationship of the self to itself and learning how to dialogue with oneself. So there are some important practices in that respect that we also see coming up within the Stoics. And then there's a discussion about training for death as another, we could call it not a, a subtype of spiritual practices, but as involving these different types as well. You know, you could be attentive to the fact that life is, passing away, right? You can broaden your perspective through how you think about things so that you can realize that, that your own death is nothing absolutely unique. You can learn about, you know, what the philosophers have to say. You can engage in practical exercises so that you'll have some self-mastery when you're in dangerous situations, you can persevere in them. So there's a number of different types of spiritual practices and each school develops and deploys its own particular practices. Many of them borrow from each other because why miss out on something that, that's quite good if somebody else has developed an excellent spiritual practice that, that you can make use of. I'll give you one prime example of this that's spread across the, you might say the curriculum of ancient philosophy bringing before the eyes, you know, a conception of what you look like when you become angry so that you realize, Ooh, that's pretty ugly. That may actually help to wean you away from the anger response. We find it in Epicureans. We find it in Stoics. We find it in middle Platonists and in others as well, because it, it's, turns out it's an effective technique, right?
So there's, there's a lot of overlap between these, but we can distinguish these apart from each other. And just to reinforce the point, it's very important that we do distinguish them because they're not all the same thing. And we want to know, well, what part of the mind or body or soul or whatever it is that we're working upon, are we actually engaging and what sort of specific content or direction are we giving it? Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.